Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Chronic absenteeism is defined as missing more than 10% of the school days in a year. And as you might imagine, it's not associated with good educational outcomes. Before the pandemic, maybe 10% of California kids would be chronically absent. Now close to a quarter of children are missing that much school. And in some districts and among some demographics, the numbers are even higher. The structural factors that are tied to chronic absenteeism, poverty, difficult parental work schedules, lack of educational interest, they've long existed. So what exactly did the pandemic break? And can it be mended? Or do we need a new model for some kids? That's all coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Today we're talking about the remarkable rise in kids missing large chunks of the school year. Some educational trends hold for lower income, lower resource students, but not for wealthier households. But that's one thing about chronic absenteeism. The pandemic drove it up among just about all groups, just about all districts, even across national boundaries if you look at Canada and the UK. So what happened? What can be done? We're joined by Carolyn Jones, K-12 education reporter at Cal Matters. Welcome. Thank you. We're joined by Gloria Corral, president and CEO of Parent Institute for Quality Education. Welcome, Gloria. Good morning. Thank you. Joined by Hetty Chang, executive director and founder of Attendance Works, which is a national initiative that works to curb chronic absenteeism in schools. Right on point, Hetty. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. And we're joined by Chin Wu Fernandez, who is the Associate Superintendent in Hayward Unified. Welcome, Chin. Good morning. Um, Chin, let's start with you. You know, just tell us about your district's experience. What's the view look like from the sort of superintendent's office on, you know, chronic absenteeism over the last five years? Sure. So I'm from Hayward Unified School District. Um, and for us, uh, pre-pandemic, our chronic absenteeism was a point of focus for us. We were hovering about 12.3% pre-pandemic um, as our absence rate. And again, chronic absenteeism is when students miss 10% of school. Whether that's excused or unexcused, it all kind of captures into that data. The pandemic certainly um has caused some um, hardships for families and students. And therefore, for several years there, students had a hard time engaged um, in education and because we were in virtual learning. Mm-hmm. In 21-22, our data reflected as kids are coming back and out of the pandemic, um, we were about 55% in terms of our chronic wow. absence rate, um, which is astounding in lots of ways. And you know, understanding the barriers that the pandemic created, um, it's understandable. This last year, we made a growth of 15%. So um, for 22-23, we are at 39.9% in mm-hmm. terms of our chronic absenteeism rate, and we continue to make progress around that this year in terms of getting more kids engaged in school. 
So from your perspective, was this just like the pandemic took pre-existing factors and made them all worse? Or did new factors come into play? For example, people being afraid of sending their kids to school, either if they were a little bit sick, like that sniffly nose, you keep them home, or getting sick, you know, from other kids. I think it's a combination of both. I mean, there are certainly factors that were barriers for families pre-pandemic, and I think those are exacerbated through pandemic, right? So to your point, I mean, we have students who are, you know, um, we have students who are sick and our parents are concerned about sending them to school, so they're exposed to additional sickness, which is one of the factors, but we have situations such as families who are unhoused, for instance, their situation was difficult before pandemic and certainly exacerbated when the pandemic hit and there's less resources for them to be able to access in, the, in terms of education and otherwise. You know, you mentioned that these numbers include both excused and unexcused absences. Have you seen a difference in those trends either before the pandemic to now or, you know, through this trans pandemic period? Um, the, the trend is actually pretty similar. So mm. both pre-pandemic and now post-pandemic, um, we actually see a higher percentage of students who are um, absent from schools due to excuse absences, mm. right? So excuse reasons, which include, you know, personal reasons or health reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you typically see? I mean, is it that students just stop coming to school for weeks at a time? Or is it more like kids are missing, like, one day a week or, you know, one day a month, and it kind of just ends up adding up over time? We actually see a combination of both. So we certainly see large chunks of the absences of students where they're not attending school uh, day after day and they're consecutive. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those are you know, often due to illnesses. But we also see students who are uh, missing school sporadically. Mm-hmm. So they're not all kind of chunked together. So there's trends on both ends depending on the individual circumstances of, this, mm-hmm. of the student. Before we bring in the rest of the panel, I just want to ask you one more thing. You know, how much variation do you see kind of school to school or class to class? Did this just hit every place in the district like one wave or was it particularly spiky in some neighborhoods and not others? Our data actually indicates that um, it's not split necessarily by school by school, but there is there is a trend that we've seen over the years in terms of gray levels. So mm-hmm. it seems that uh, chronic absenteeism is the highest rate appears in our youngest students, meaning our TK, pre-K students and up. Um, and then we also see the same similar trend appearing in about 10th grade and 11th grade in mm. terms of where, where we see the spikes in the data. Mm. You know, we want to hear from you. We want to hear, are you a parent? Are you a student? Are you an educator who's struggling kind of with chronically missing school or having your students miss school, or your kids miss school? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. We know that people have all kinds of different circumstances. We'd love to get some of them. Again, the number is 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. You can find us on all the different social channels, as well as obviously on the digital community over on Discord, where we're KQED Forum. Um, Hedy Chang, executive director and founder of Attendance Works, wanted to bring you into this. Does it sound like Hayward's uh, experience has been kind of uh, typical of what's happening around the country? Well, we do know that around the country, uh, a chronic absence doubled between before the pandemic to the 21-22 school year, which is the last time we have national data. So it went from about 16 percent to 30 mm-hmm. percent. 
Um, uh, so in that sense, Hayward is uh, somewhat similar, though, you know, 55% is a little bit higher than what we saw nationally. And in California, it went to about 30%. Mm -hmm. um, we also see in the 22-23 data that folks, uh, we saw a little bit of a decrease. Hayward actually saw a, a pretty significant drop of 15%. That's actually a really uh, important uh, movement in the right direction for Hayward. Um, I also want to just point out something um, that's also challenging about what we're seeing. When kids are chronically absent and you see high levels in a school, like 20 or percent or more of kids in a school that are chronically absent. It's not just the kids who are chronically absent whose educational experience is affected. Mm. You're actually, it's harder for teachers to teach and kids to learn because there's so much churn yeah. happening. How do you do a group project? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, the one kid's out and now he's back and yeah. there's different kids missing every day. And what we saw na nationally was before the pandemic about 25% of all kids were in a school with 20% or more levels of their kids of their mm -hmm. of kids chronically absent. Post pandemic it was 2 thirds of all schools. Huh. Wow. So I suggest I think that's also happening with Hayward and it really means we have to ha take a different whole school whole community approach. Yeah. Because now that churn is sort of what everyone's seeing and experiencing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just to restate those numbers for people who, who uh, and make sure I have it right, that pre-pandemic, 25% of all kids were in schools that had 20% or more chronic absenteeism. Post-pandemic, two-thirds of all schools. Did I get that right? Two-thirds of all kids. Of and all it, kids. Is a, uh, it is around two-thirds of all schools. It's a different calculation, but yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Um, Carolyn Jones... Looking back over your reporting, do you think schools did something wrong or was this just like the pandemic was a wrecking ball on, you know, the kind of culture of going to school on, you know, parental lives? Like what from from your perspective, having covered this, what do you think? I think the pandemic was a wrecking ball. <laughs> um, I think that there are a lot of factors that have been feeding into this. Um some families just sort of got out of the habit of daily school attendance, but lack of transportation is a huge issue. Um, students having struggling with mental health issues um, and just basically not wanting to go to school. Mm -hmm. um, caution due to COVID or illness generally. Um, a general disengagement in school. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there was kind of a, some, a, a connection broken there between families in the school, between students in the school, students not understanding exactly or seeing school as a safe and comfortable place. Mm -hmm. I think all that factored in. Do you mean like a like a metaphorical connection broken or like a, you know, a symbolic connection? Or do you mean like really just, you know, people tuned out of like the school, you know, newsletter? Well, I think all of the above. I mean, I think in most communities, the school is sort of the center of the community, whether it's an elementary school or a high school or, you know, people either mm -hmm. send their kids there or they work there or they went there themselves. But when that connection is broken, um, it's going to take a, some time, I think, to, mm -hmm. to reestablish that trust and that, that sense that the school is where I'm supposed to be every day. Yeah. Gloria Corral, President and CEO of Parent Institute for Equality Education. I mean, you've been listening. I mean, what do you think? What haven't we brought up as kind of the perspective factors here in chronic absenteeism? Well, I think that all sort of the underlying factors have been named in, in terms of, you know, some of the uh, barriers. I absolutely think that uh, families' ability to have consistent routines has been mm. uh, 
has been, you know, uprooted, right? When you were, um, when, when you had to readjust your life schedule and your family schedule, because yes, because your child might be sent back to school, or you didn't know if your child was going to be going to school, you know, all those things just fundamentally kind of really disrupted that mm-hmm. sort of uh, process by which you, you, you transition from, um, early learning or whether it was preschool or pre uh, or, or, or before then in a childcare setting or they didn't go. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of like, you're, you know, you get your child ready to go to early childhood settings up to preschool that was disrupted. Right. Because you couldn't, you literally couldn't. And so um, also, you know, just sort of um, I think the other part that's very critical, especially for families is that sense of belonging And, you know, I have young children and I will tell you that sort of that notion of welcoming families in and, you know, everyone doing those kind of group um, Mm. activities, right? All those used to happen in person. Now, for a lot of reasons, right, processes were shifted to online, right? Doing registration online, doing things online. So just sort of that Mm. sense of community that was brought up about uh, getting to know the other families and you know i'll say the 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 other part which is particularly interesting with young children i think just is, gotta make it real quick we're almost out of time for this segment oh yeah. it's just it's just the the use of of of, of technology uh, right mm-hmm. so yeah we'll be back with more on that for sure we're gonna talk more causes more uh solutions talking about chronic absenteeism in california public schools with gloria corral president and ceo of the parent institute for quality education Carolyn Jones, K-12 education reporter for CalMatters. Hetty Chang, executive director and founder of Attendance Works. And Chin Wu Fernandez, who is associate superintendent for Hayward Unified School District. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about chronic absenteeism in California public schools. Joined by a great panel here. Locally, we've got Chin Wu Fernandez, who's associate superintendent at Hayward Unified School District. We've got CalMatters K-12 education reporter Carolyn Jones. We've got the president and CEO of the Parent Institute for Quality Education, Gloria Corral, and Hetty Chang, executive director and founder of Attendance Works, which is a national initiative that works to curb uh, chronic absenteeism in schools. Of course, we're going to get to your calls and your comments. The uh, phone lines are full, so you can try forum at kqed.org. Let's bring in David in San Francisco. Welcome. 
Good morning. Hey, good morning, Dave. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Um, I'm a staff member at a public school, and pre-pandemic, we used to have a subset. If you did a Venn diagram, you'd have a subset of parent types that would send their kids into school sick, and different school districts probably have a slightly (laughs) different mix. My first day, three different kids threw up on me, three different colors of cold medicine. You can identify them by brand, 100 degree (laughs) fevers. Yo. So the, the COVID pandemic did something that was kind of strange. People became more health aware and aware about sending their children in. When we started going back to school, there were the precautions were up. Everybody had their, their detectors out and were much more cautious about sending their kids in. Now we're starting to see everything flip back to before, except the Venn diagram seems to have changed. Those that will send their kids into school tend to be a broader group now, if hmm. you will. And one other thing I'd like to comment on is that we usually think of people who have to send their kids into school via certain social economic strata or mm-hmm. um, mindset of the parent. But a lot of times, the Take, for instance, uh, a job requirement. We can't have the kid home at school. We send them the, the kid sick and hope they make it through the day. We think sometimes in the past that might have been more so, of a lower socioeconomic, but in reality, what we were seeing at schools was that it was uh, off the tech parents hmm. as well as the people who couldn't afford to take a day off work to take care of the kid. Yeah. And sometimes it's just the You kind of get this U-shape to it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, David, thank, thanks so much for that uh, perspective. Super appreciate that. I mean, Hedy, I want to bring this one to you. I mean, you know, we we're hearing from David that it seems like parents became more health aware. Maybe there is like a, a something of a movement back to the pre-pandemic norms. I mean, is there something about this that's a good thing, though, that parents are like more aware of sending their kids uh, to school sick if, if they don't have to? Um. I think it's good for parents. I mean, you have to be judicious about when you send your kids to school. And there are times when kids are too sick and they shouldn't be in school. So uh, I think that's almost was always true and is still true. I think the challenge with the pandemic is, one, um, when the pandemic hit, we actually got accustomed, got told. And in fact, school nurses and everyone else, their job was to keep kids home. Any sign of illness, Mm -hmm. you stay home because you didn't want to take the risk of COVID spreading. Um, And that's appropriate. You know, we don't want schools to be places where we're, you know, spreading, uh, you know, difficult, challenging and and deadly disease. So I think that was appropriate at the time. But when you look at what are the, it's a guidance from health and the California Department of Public Health has actually worked to create some really thoughtful guidance, helping uh, preschool um, programs, after-school programs, and K-12 educators know how do you deal with symptomatic illnesses. And there's a whole set of things that kids should not be sent to school, should, should not be kept home. Let's take a kid having a stomach ache, okay? Uh, when kids have stomach aches, often the, it's a sign of anxiety. It's not a sign of any kind of infectious disease. And especially given the kind of anxiety that has happened as kids have missed out on important learning, not connected to peers, you know, our general angst that we're feeling, particularly because we're, you know, of the challenges we're facing socially, there are a lot of stomach aches. And the goal there then is to get kids to show up regularly, make sure you deal with anxiety, not to keep them home. 
if you kept them home, you could actually make the situation worse. So I appreciate that um, we still have to be careful. And so all of us doing a better job of looking at what are those symptoms and which symptoms mean my kids should be sent home mm-hmm. and which symptoms actually are not a good idea. Sniffles can be allergies. Mm-hmm. They're not the reasons to keep kids home. So I think we all have to be much more careful because if we keep our kids home unnecessarily, it actually affects their well-being. It makes it difficult to get back into that routine. It makes it difficult to stay on top of your learning. Um, and so I think this is something where we yeah. really need different kinds of partnerships with our health providers to make sure that we're sending kids to school regularly for their health and well-being and keeping them home when we should. Yeah. Carolyn Jones, you know, have you in your reporting encountered kind of the the Venn diagram of anxiety and this problem, like how how much of this increase in chronic absenteeism can be attributed to kind of not not just even teens, like kid mental health, sort of increasing awareness as well as also maybe like decreasing uh, mental health among lots of kids? Well, yeah, since the pandemic, I mean, there's no question that, you know, more and more students are struggling with um, anxiety, depression, just general mental health struggles. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into that. I mean, I know bullying has been on the rise, Um, behavior issues in the classroom, Um, school shootings play a role in this. Um, In California, you know, areas that have struggled with wildfires and climate change issues, mudslides, that's flooding. I mean, there's lots of reasons for kids to feel stressed out these days. Mm. And so, yeah, there's no question that that plays a role in kids just wanting to stay home and take it easy. Mm. And for parents, too, you know, they want to do what's right for their kid. And maybe a mental health day is what a kid needs. So it's it's mm. tough. It's a hard position for parents to be in. Yeah. Let's let's bring in some parents. Um, Michael in uh, Petaluma, welcome. Thank you. Um, I'm hearing this talk about anxiety and mental health and there's a piece in there, <clears throat> excuse me, I do recognize it's increased greatly among young people and population in general, but my son was in the 10th grade last year in Marin County, and um, he started experimenting with smoking weed mm-hmm. and um, trying to stop. He was scared to go to school because the bathrooms are like a party during passing periods and lunch nutrition and people are offering it to other people. And I spoke with the assistant principal who said, we're, we're, we are well aware of this issue, but we don't have enough staff to make sure that it's not happening. Mm. And uh, I personally used when I was in high school, but like it's, it's an epidemic at this point with mm. the ease of, of, with vaping, you can't smell it so much. So people are doing it in the classroom mm-hmm. during class. Wow. Michael, um, appreciate the difficulty of that uh, situation, and thanks for for sharing it with us. You know, I, I think I want to get um, your perspective, Chin Wu Fernandez, associate superintendent at Hayward. I mean, obviously, the ease of using marijuana now versus, you know, 20 years ago is is quite different. And the way that it plays into both, you know, kids 
going to school to do it. And also, you know, in Michael's case, a kid who doesn't want to go to school because other people are doing it and they're trying not to. Um, how, are, how are you thinking about the role of the kind of greater ease and availability uh, of drugs in, in this chronic absenteeism debate? I think that um, I appreciate the caller, and um, and there is um, there is a, a level of ease in terms of um, obtaining things. I mean, marijuana is still not legal to use in schools, and therefore that's not something that we see typically in schools. But I, what I hear the caller saying is really about the difficulty of mental health conditions for students mm-hmm. and students turning to different things to ease that anxiety and that depression and the things that they're feeling um, and the need for schools to be able to make sure that our kids are feeling safe when they're on campus um, one way or the other. Sounds like the in this particular case, um, the young person is not feeling safe in the bathrooms and therefore that's, a, that's something that really needs to be addressed. And so those are things that we work hard in terms of both engaging parents in some of these discussions about students and their mental health status and, you know, the use of, you know, other um, drugs and alcohol and other things mm-hmm. and the, and what it can actually do to students in terms of both their, for their own mental health and health conditions. And then what can we do as schools to be proactive in our stance in terms of making sure that students are cared for, um, connected to resources and are feeling safe on our campuses. And th- that's actually been the area of emphasis for us as a district in terms of looking at how do we engage students more appropriately, engage families more appropriately in, our, in these difficult discussions, and then providing the, the resources and the structure for referrals so that students can get access mm-hmm. to care so they don't have to turn to other means to make sure that their needs are being filled. Yeah. You know, there's some other interesting types of comments coming in from parents, and um, I want to get to a couple of them here. Uh, Trisha writes, I'm a mother of twin first graders and a preschooler. Before COVID, I thought of school as sacred. Now I consider our family sacred and school supportive. So if there's a reason for us to have family time that extends into the school week, we do it. And it feels like a, to me, that feels like it gets at one of like the really deep underlying tidal forces here, which is people kind of re-rendering their relationship to school entirely. Carolyn? Yeah, I, I agree. And that's what I've seen too. Um, yeah, like what I was, you know, saying earlier about that connection to school, mm-hmm. um, school, whereas it used to be, you know, mandatory, no brainer, you go to school. Certainly, that was the way at my the way sure. it was at my house. <laughs> um, to to a situation where it is um, considered optional for a lot of par- parents. Hmm. Let's bring another parent here, Christina in Nevada. Welcome. Thank you. Yes, I mean, I I've definitely been hearing what everyone is saying on on all these topics and. The anxiety piece of this is especially true for me. I have a second grader who has stomach aches that I know are not related mm-hmm. to anything. And I mm-hmm. send her to school when I need to. And I absolutely hear that. But mm-hmm. I, since the pandemic, how much of this, uh, you know, absenteeism has to do with parents' just general availability to be able to stay home with their children? I mean, I know that so many times we've talked about, you know, the parental guilt we've had about having to send our children to school when we really didn't feel like they needed to or wanted to stay home, give them that mental health day. But I mean, work has changed significantly. There, There's more grace being given to parents joining Zoom calls with their kids on their lap or, you know, knowing that, the, you know, I was interrupted last week because my children were off school and I still had to work but didn't have childcare and everyone was so understanding. Um, but, you know, I... 
I also know that this is part of a difficult budget cycle and schools get mm-hmm. their budgets based on attendance and, mm-hmm. you know, how much of this is really about bringing funding to the school versus what's actually best for kids' mental health. Mm, man, such a rich question and experience, Christina. Sorry about the second grader stomach aches. I, I, I know that one. Uh, I, I, you know, I think I want to ask you, um, uh, Hetty and, and Gloria, take it, you know, kind of back to back here. For parents who are in this situation, I mean, it feels like you're kind of asking, in, in Hetty, in your first answer, you kind of gestured at this, that like, this is actually a collective problem as well as an individual one that families are are trying to solve. And it seems like part of your argument is that people should see it that way and should send their kids because it's good for other kids too. Is that true? Well, I, I think it's good for their kids and good for other kids. Let me say it this way. When um, I'm a parent with kids and part of what happened when my kids went to school is that they're developing all sorts of so of different skills. They're developing the ability to get along with other kids. They're developing the ability to negotiate conflicts. They're getting a set of things that you actually can't easily do just with your own kids at home. So it is hard. I'm always a working mom too. And it's great that employers, you know, maybe a little bit more, um, considerate about what are the challenges we face. But I think in some ways we lost sight of the social emotional value, uh, the social skills that kids get in skills schools that are so crucial. And at the same time, it is when we all take our own individual vacations, don't pay attention to what are the school schedules, we make it much harder for teachers to mm-hmm. teach. Mm-hmm. And to get through a curriculum and to help all of the kids in the classroom move along. And that actually, I think we need to be um, also taking into consideration. And when you talk then about the staffing challenges that schools face, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you have higher levels of chronic absenteeism, there's some emerging evidence that actually makes teachers feel less satisfied and happy with their jobs. Because well, it's and, so you know, much to that- harder. To that point, Hattie, we have a listener who writes in to say there has been a teacher exodus for the same reasons. I've taught at public high schools around the Bay Area. I decided to quit when I felt like I was being set up for failure. Class sizes were too big and there was an increase in misbehavior with little to no accountability. The classroom didn't feel like as safe a space as many people are led to believe. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Gloria, did you want to chip in on this one as well? Well, I would I would only echo that, you know, for for all of us, right, this notion that education is is it's a it's a collective experience, right? Well, once you once you and it's and it's a it's a partnership between the families, the educator, the and the in the school, quite frankly. And I think that there is um really as as we think about how to address this trend, right? Because because it didn't exist to this degree before. So we Mm -hmm. know that there's a way to get back to sort of this collective um, way of, of, of thinking about educating, especially our youngest children, of course, all children, but our youngest children in particular, because it's a collective activity, as Mm -hmm. Hetty was saying, that young children thrive when they are with other young children. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And, 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 and it's a, and it's a, it's a window of time, right. It doesn't happen when they're 13, right. Mm-hmm. They happen at this moment in time. And so I think it's thinking about this partnership and this relationship that um, families, parents, young children, educators, and the system really need to um, revisit and, and re-engage in, but really thinking about it as a, as a way of developing strong, trusting relationships. I think to me, as the work we do with families, especially low-income families, is that creating environment, the, uh, the, the environment in which their children can thrive means that they mm-hmm. need to feel welcome. Mm-hmm. They need to be seen. They need to be seen as a whole family. And that there are instances where the smartest thing, the most strategic thing, the best thing for their family is to keep a child home, right? But that there are other ways that they can feel engaged and welcome when they when the school and, and community-based organizations and health providers are in the mix so that families can make the best choice. Um, but you, you need to develop that trust. Yeah. Those environments need to be welcoming and the teachers need to be supported um, so that they can develop those relationships, both with the adult, with the parent, with the family, and with the children. Mm. We're talking about chronic absenteeism here uh, in Northern California public schools, as well as, you know, across the country, because it's happening everywhere. We're joined by Gloria Corral, who's president and CEO of the Parent Institute for Quality Education. We're joined by Carolyn Jones, K-12 education reporter with Cal Matters. We're joined by Hetty Chang, who's the executive director and founder of Attendance Works, which is a national initiative that's trying to curb chronic absenteeism in schools. And we also have a school administrator here, Chin Wu Fernandez, who is associate superintendent with Hayward Unified School District. We're, of course, you know, we know this is a a deeply personal issue for many people. And so we're taking your calls and comments as well. Parent, student, educator, you know, talk to us about what you think is going on here. The email address is forum at kqed.org, or you can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. We're going to talk about funding. We're going to talk about some more solutions, and we're going to take some more calls right after the break. So stay tuned. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about chronic absenteeism. We're joined by Carolyn Jones, K-12 education reporter at Cal Matters. Gloria Corral, who's president and CEO of the Parent Institute for Quality Education. Hetty Chang of Attendance Works. And Chin Wu Fernandez, associate superintendent at Hayward Unified School District. Colleen tweets, you know, we modeled for kids that school was not essential. They listened. The education establishment shut the feds down for billions of dollars and used children as bargaining chips. Kids know this. What, what do you think, Carolyn Jones? Is that a fair assessment? Well, that's definitely a point that I've heard before. Yeah. I mean, when schools shut down, we were sending a certain message. I mean, it's hard to say in retrospect, was that the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? Um, there was so much at stake. We were in the middle of this global pandemic. A lot of dif- very difficult decisions had to be made. So I'm not one to be the armchair quarterback on that. But mm-hmm. um, I have heard definitely that argument before. Yeah. Let's bring in uh, Daniel in the East Bay as we get talking about some solutions. Welcome, Daniel. Hi, thank you. Um, I have a comment. I've been a little bit vexed by the conversation so far, mostly because the focus has seemed to be on families and families' responsibilities or culpabilities, as the case may be. Mm -hmm. But I really, as a parent of a high schooler who struggled mightily through COVID and struggled with attendance, and just graduating in the aftermath, I want to know what schools are doing uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. From our perspective, there have been a kind of litany of things that have made him unwelcome and unsafe, from teachers themselves being absent to lack of resources to address learning difficulties and problems that arose with COVID um, to the things that your caller, Michael, uh, introduced earlier, lack of resources to address things like bullying and substance mm-hmm. abuse in the school, et cetera. So as I hear this conversation, I think we're two teachers <laughs> with advanced degrees, a house that really privileges, prioritizes schooling. And we faced unreal difficulties uh, that we lay at the feet of a school who makes our child feel unwelcome. Mm. So I don't think this is just about families or choices yeah. or habits. It's a culture in the schools and a problem of um, the system there and the culture of schools themselves in the aftermath. All right, Daniel. I mean, what a what a, a great series of points, and yeah, I don't think we mean to be laying this all at the at the feet of family so much as talking about kind of the the broken kind of contract between you know social contract between um, people and and the schools they send their kids to. So thank you so much for that, um, Daniel. Chin, let's go to you on this first. I mean, what what have you done, and what can't you do because you don't have the resources, or because it's not working, or just you know can't do it. I just I want to echo the sentiment of the caller that called in. Relationship is everything. Um, and one of the things that we focus on, Hayward, is, uh, you know, relationships in our schools is one of our major strategies in terms of how we want to engage our families and our students. So the four major areas that we've done a lot of work at, uh, both in just creating the environments that we want to see in our schools to address the issue of chronic absenteeism is, one, the creation of additional access for students and supports. So we know students need things and family need things, right? How do we create access for students and families to be able to access that in the, in the most, most robust way? How do we increase our engagement of families and in, in being partners with us and having discussions about difficult things like bullying, like um, virtual learning and the effects of virtual learning. We want to make sure that we create engagement strategies both in the classroom to support our teachers so that they can better support students in a meaningful way, and also in our extended learning programs like our after-school programs. And then we want to intentionally use data to look at where it, it is that we need to, you know, 
uh, put mm -hmm. additional focus or resources in the way that most will curb the uh, data in the way that we want to trend. Are you seeing that there are some engagement strategies that are more effective? Um, yes. So for students, I mean, for instance, in our after-school programs, the students are really um, the the drivers of what we actually provide for our students in a good way. So we do student surveys every year, and we talk to students and teachers about what students want to see, right? What are the way they want to engage in? And we create programming that are consistent to that. So for example, um, college is, is important for a lot of our students in the secondary, middle school, and high school. So one of the after-school program initiatives that we created was an after-school program where middle school students can access college credits. So they actually start being college students in the middle school. Hmm. And that's a huge engagement strategy for some of our students who may not feel super successful in school and college is a wish, um, but something that they feel like it's unattainable. But by being able to take college courses in the middle school, it really helps them and drives their, um, their kind of push to be able to stay in school and to be proud of the fact that they're college students at a middle school level in a way that they can earn college credits in a meaningful way. Huh. Fascinating. I mean, Carolyn, as you're looking around, you know, the the state, um, what solutions or maybe, you know, it doesn't seem like we're actually going to solve this, but like what, what um, positive actions do you feel like schools have taken that are actually backed up by, you know, the data that they, that they have? Oh, yeah. There's lots of great examples of schools that have been really successful with this. Um, during COVID, schools got a lot of extra money from the state and the fed, federal government. They've hired attendance clerks, counselors, social workers to work individually with families to find out what specifically the family needs. Sometimes it's a little bit more flexibility on bus pickup, for example. And so, you know, a school district in Salinas, instead of using the big school buses, which had longer routes to pick up more kids, they bought a fleet of vans that would do shorter bus routes for so they could establish a time schedule that worked with more families. And that had a huge impact. Hmm. Um, or, um, you know, improving the food at school has had a huge impact. The states made a lot of millions of dollars available for schools to improve their uh, cafeteria services. And, you know, who doesn't love a good lunch? So hmm. that's made a huge difference. Um, just basically, oh, another school district, you know, in working with families, you know, it might be a situation where it was the 10-year-old's responsibility to get the 5-year-old to school every day and was having some trouble. So the school district managed to find a neighbor who could help out, and they bought an alarm clock for the 10-year-old and worked with the family, and it, it worked. So I think by taking these really targeted approaches, but then also making efforts to make school more fun and welcoming and safe and a place where parents felt really happy to send their kids to every day really does seem to make a big difference. Yeah. Um, I want to bring in uh, another parent voice here. Kathy in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, sure can, Kathy. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I think um, the overarching theme, and I'm a teacher and a parent of three, um, is that if anything, you know, the pandemic opened our eyes for our children and for us of what is so broken in the mm. public school system. Mm. And if anything, you can't come back from that until it's fixed internally. Mm. So I hear all these superintendents talking about how essential it is to go to school. I'm also hearing them talk about, oh, if your kid has a tummy ache, it's not really a tummy ache. Or you can send your kids to school with a sniffle. And even that, my 13-year-old hearing that wouldn't want to go to public school. We send them to private school that we can't afford. But guess what? They test kids for COVID, they have you stay home, or it's a safe environment. And if anything, the pandemic made us realize what really matters. And school should be not just a place that you have to 
to go to, but that you want to go to. And if there isn't people there to help if you're having a hard day or if your tummy is hurting because of emotional issues, but there's not someone to talk to at school about it, you're not going to want to go. And so it's, it's, if anything, this whole blaming of the kids or blaming of the parents, if my kid is having a hard day and doesn't want to go to school from bullying or all these other things, I'm going to keep him home. And I don't care if he gets an unexcused absence. And that's not a parent's fault or a child's fault. That's the internalized broken system of the public school system. As a teacher, why do you think no teachers want to teach there? Mm. So instead of blaming the pandemic or this or the kids or parents for keeping them home, what really needs to happen is a big reflection of what's so broken in the public school system in order for it to be a safe, educative place in so many other ways than just academic and rote um, learning of just going to school every single day. It needs to be enriching. It needs to be in all these different things that it should be. Mm. And so they didn't know any different. Then the pandemic, you realize, oh, my God, this isn't how school should be. <laughs> school should feel good. All these other mm. things. Yeah. So until it's fixed internally, it's still going to have a problem. And yeah. it needs to stop being blamed on COVID or parents or the children because you know, it's the broken system within. Yeah. Thanks, Kathy, for that. I um, appreciate the, the passion there and, and the, the difficulty of the situation people are facing. Yeah, uh, Carolyn, I think... Um, Could I? Yeah. Go, I yeah. Able, um, add into this, please? Sure. Um, so this is Hetty Chang. Um, so I totally appreciate what you're saying. And one of the things that we talk about... Um, is that when you have lots of kids who are chronically absent, it's a sign that the positive conditions for learning that lead students to be engaged and wanting to show up to school regularly are missing. And that's physical and emotional health and safety, a sense of belonging, connection and support, academic challenge and engagement, and, and having adults and students who are themselves supported so that they have the well-being to engage in that relationship building that puts this all in place. And I do think the caller just before us is right in that um, these things have been broken and in some places they were more broken than in others. And then when schools shut down, I think it became really challenging for many places that sort of took for granted these conditions to put them back in place. And we have, you know, thousands and thousands of schools across the country and in California who never had to really reflect on how did they structure their schools so they make sure that these positive conditions for learning exist. How do they engage families, connect to families, partner with other groups, including public health, to make sure this is part of how our schools operate every day? And I think that what we're trying to say, though, is that the way we get there has to be a partnership between schools and families and our organizations in our community to put these positive conditions for learning in place. It won't happen overnight. And it needs to have all of us working together in a thoughtful, intentional approach to making this a reality for all kids. I mean, not to be a pessimist here, um, but, you know, 
these conditions have obtained for a long time in many schools. I think the thing that is is really difficult is, do we have a path to getting back to even sort of the pre-pandemic levels of chronic absenteeism, which weren't perfect, and I'm sure people had um, you know issues with with those as well. Gloria, do you see there's a path back? Like, are some schools all the way back there, or or not yet? Well, you know, I think this is uh, there is a path back. I've dedicated my life to uh, education and, and and believing that that we as a community and as a um, as a as a group of people believe that educating our children and providing kind of an environment where they can literally do what what we as humans need, which is human to human interaction. Right. It, again, I want to emphasize, especially for our youngest children. And I think we, you know, we can talk about these issues, um, which are very real. Um, as a, someone who has a middle school child, I will tell you bullying is real. And so not to minimize those. In fact, I think we've spent a really uh, important amount of time talking about that. Mm-hmm. I think it's particularly important for our youngest learners, because this is where you develop those relationships, right? And so is, is there a path back? Absolutely. It begins with this collab, you know, sort of mm-hmm. thinking about developing these partnerships and these relationships from you know, from the minute that adults come together and 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 want to support a child's learning, from you know, from their youngest experience, whether that's preschool or before and into TK and kindergarten, um, and I'll tell you one, fa- you know, kind of funny example, but like, you know, us thinking about our TK and kindergarten experience, you know, teachers would do, you know, parent there was a parent uh, for the classroom. Right. Right. And it was that relationship and that sense of community where we all were able to participate. And that is the path forward. And I think, I think there is a way for us to think about bringing in this partnership, um, recognizing that it takes all caring adults to care for our youngest children, for all children, our youngest children and their families. Yeah. Chin Wu Fernandez, how about those youngest learners? Like, what is Hayward specifically doing to make sure that people kind of get into the pipeline uh, of of being in school and feel welcomed and and like they belong in that? I mean, I think it's a what we spoke to before. It is a collective effort in terms of of doing that. I mean, I know our teachers um, and our school staff are really keyed in on the fact that creating safe and welcoming environments are an important aspect of the work. For our youngest learners, it is where we're seeing a lot of data and um, around chronic absenteeism. And our move has really been really how do we engage our families, our educators, and our support providers and our community partners in that discussion so that we can actually collectively move forward on strategies that are intentional and supporting families in a way. I mean, absenteeism is typically is usually what we consider a tip of the iceberg, right? Students are not coming to school for various reasons. And it's important for us to have these discussions and conversations to figure out what those reasons are so that we're targeted in our approach. We have ramped up our communications with families so that of our youngest learners so that they're getting regular communication from us on, you know, school and the importance of school. However, they're simply partners with us in the conversation. So having enough resources to support families when they have needs is important 
important aspect of our work. Having resources to support our teachers and our students are important um, aspect of the work as we consider how we could collectively tackle this issue um, in the way that is a team effort rather than um, an individual effort. Hmm. Um, Carolyn Jones wanted to ask you about, you know, some of the callers have gestured at kind of the bigger challenge to the public school system here. For older kids, you know, for for TK, it's not like you're going to put the kids online. You know, we kind of know. I always tried to get a kid to do a Zoom school. Four years old knows this isn't going to work. But what about for older kids? I mean, does this say something about, you know, for kids who are 13 and up, I mean, maybe high school really is a terrible idea for some kids, you know? I don't know. Well, you're right. It's two separate issues. I think for the younger kids, the issue is more about the parents or the families getting the kids to school every day. For the older students, it's they're getting themselves to school every day. So it's a question of working directly with the students to make sure that, you know, to address whatever their issues are. But, you know, I think the one thing to remember, too, is that, you know, school is mandatory. It's the law. You have to go to school every day through high school. And in a lot of ways, we're lucky to have that system. We're lucky to have free public schools. Some countries don't have that. And so it's a question of making people realize that and making school attractive and making school um, enriching and engaging in a place where you see your friends. I think for older students, you know, a lot of extracurricular activities are helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone mentioned earlier, you know, college prep stuff, um, career training, CTE classes, um, academies, you know, anything that can kind of keep kids engaged, involved in the community, that seems to be really helpful. Jobs and internships, a lot of schools have been really proactive about that. So there's lots of things that high schools can do to kind of, you know, break up the usual system and make school more engaging for more different kinds of students. Yeah. Round Robin here real quick of some more listener comments before we say goodbye. Best rights. I'm a parent of five kids, also work in education and under-resourced communities. I've experienced chronic absenteeism both within my own family and in my professional work. We need to better understand the trends leading to this reality. We need to shift our funding model away from tying funding to attendance, which has the effect of financially punishing schools that are already financially under-resourced. Another listener writes, the school district canceled our school bus route. Walking to school takes an hour and the bike route's not safe. It's not convenient for working parents who have to be at work at the time of school drop-off and pick-up. We've been talking about chronic absenteeism with an all-star panel here. Been joined by Carolyn Jones, K-12 education reporter at Cal Matters, Gloria Corral, president and CEO of Parent Institute for Quality Education, Hetty Chang, executive director and founder of Attendance Works, a national initiative that works to curb chronic absenteeism in schools, and Chin Wu Fernandez, associate superintendent with Hayward Unified. Thank you so much to all of our guests, all of our parents and teachers who called in. This is Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. 
So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.